0: Oh, good morning, everybody. Shall I just have a, a very quick um, word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, will you bless my words and bless the thoughts of all our minds and hearts that we may receive some message from you this morning through Jesus Christ, our Savior? Amen. Amen. Um, now, um, this is very, uh, uh, to me, I found this piece uh, um, a bit complicated. Although it's a very simple story, which we're all very familiar with, it's what surrounds it, which I find I couldn't get my head around. I often regard the readings uh, we have in church as just tasters or pointers to that part of the Bible. Maybe you feel that way yourselves. To me, uh, today's reading is a perfect example of that. I wasn't able to understand the message without reading the previous and later chapters to see what was described in our reading had resulted from or what, what it was leading to. Where did these people come from? How did Eli incur God's wrath? Today, um, I want to briefly review the events up to the end of Samuel's leadership, observing on the way the depths to which Israel had sunk and what they had to do to come back to a close relationship with God. It's a series of interlocking stories which don't stand up very well by themselves. I then want to come back to the young Samuel and share with you some thoughts on Samuel's response to God's call. The first book of Samuel starts off by describing the family of Elkanah in the tribe of Ephraim, who was Jacob's son, he of the coat of many colours. He had two wives, and one, Hannah, was not able to conceive being a devout family they went to this holy shrine at Shiloh every year to pray and sacrifice and it was at Shiloh uh, where Eli was the priest aided by his two sons Uh, Hannah prayed that if God would grant her a son uh, she would dedicate him to the service of the Lord and the Lord answered Hannah's prayer and she called her son Samuel Chapter 2 starts with Hannah's lovely song of praise and thanksgiving for God's blessing on her. And I do particularly commend that to you. It's a lovely uh, passage. Then there's a parallel story about Eli and his sons to explain how Samuel eventually became the leader of his people. Although Eli's sons must have been brought up to know the law, uh, the scriptures and the temporal rituals... Um, We are told that they did not know the Lord. That was in chapter 2. For them, it was a series of meaningless rituals, devoid of any spiritual meaning. They were a pair of rogues. That's not my opinion. That's what we are told in the Bible. Exploiting their positions. Enriching themselves. Feasting on the choicest parts of uh, sacrificial animals. Threatening to use force if they were refused. Refused they sexually assaulted those devout women who came to the temple to worship. When Eli heard of their wicked behavior, um, he gave them such a mild rebuke that his sons took no notice. Eventually, at the end of chapter 2, a prophet came to Eli and warned him that God was going to destroy Eli's family and that every family member would die young and the family line would die out. But Eli doesn't seem to have even reacted And this is the message which God gives to Samuel in chapter 3. God's message to Samuel was quite a shock. Um, Although Samuel must have been aware of the son's wickedness, he'd not been corrupted by their behavior. Uh, You might think that the first time God spoke to Samuel, God might have told him what a great man he was going to be one day and what a blessing he would be to Israel. Samuel must have been bursting to know what the future held. Instead, God gave him a very difficult, painful, and embarrassing task. Eli must have known what was coming, for he told Samuel to tell him straight and not gloss over anything. Eli seems to have accepted his fate. For God, there was no going back on his word. No mitigation was possible. No sacrifice or offering would make any difference. It's important to see here the contrast between the shortcomings of animal sacrifices, which were of no value if a man's heart had not changed, and the perfect wholeness of Jesus' sacrifice of himself to save us from ourselves as we give ourselves to him. For as much as our repentance is sincere and our hearts are turned to the Lord... So the next four chapters relate how Samuel became the leader of his people in very turbulent times. We read in the, at the end of chapter 3 that God continued to reveal himself to Samuel. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Well, the people might have heard God's word uh, through Samuel, but it certainly did not sink in. And they didn't act on it. They were now effectively leaderless having neither secular, regal, or spiritual leadership. The country was spiritually dead. But God was still their king, and his presence, however much the people were aware of it, ensured that the reality of the kingdom was never in doubt. And this is where Samuel came into his own. At last, after 20 years of needless suffering, the Israelites were receptive to God's message through Samuel. Samuel announced to all the people that this time they really had to mean it. He assured them that they would be safe from the Philistines and other hostile tribes if they returned to the Lord with all their hearts and got rid of all their foreign gods and idols. So they did destroy their idols and after fasting and sacrificing, they confessed out loud their sin, their wickedness, their rejection of God's law. And this act of confession ushered in a long period of peace for the remainder of Samuel's leadership. But the Israelites' problems didn't end there. The situation turned full circle. Just as Eli's two sons turned out to be a pair of rogues, so Samuel's two sons, whom he nominated to succeed as, as Israel's leaders, also turned out to be corrupt enriching themselves accepting bribes and perverting justice the elders of the country had had enough they came to samuel and pleaded with him to set the country on a new course how that unfolded we'll hear about next week however i strongly recommend that if possible you could read the first eight chapters of 1 samuel it really is an exciting and action-packed read so what message does God have for us today from our passage? Our reading starts with a familiar story of Samuel believing he'd heard Eli's call and then learning that it was the Lord himself who was calling. When Samuel answered for a fourth time, he knew he was speaking directly to God himself for it was quite different. God called Samuel twice instead of once. And it seems he appeared directly to Samuel as if in a vision. We don't know how old Samuel was at this time, possibly in his teens. Uh, all we know is from chapter 2 is that Elkanah and Hannah went up to Shiloh for their annual devotions, and Hannah, still the loving mother, made Samuel a new robe every year to allow for his physical growth. Samuel's first words with God were, Your servant is listening following evi's advice samuel asks the lord to speak to him to give him a message for he samuel is alert and ready to hear what god has to say he is listening now we're positively encouraged to bring To the Lord, all our wishes, our troubles, our needs and desires. And what a tremendous joy and privilege that is. Although he's never promised to answer them in the way or at the time we're expecting. We round off our petitions by saying, Lord, hear our prayer or something similar. It reminds me of the um, very uh, well-known song, What's a Friend We Have in Jesus. And one of the uh, verses ends off by saying, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. However, it's most important that we get the balance right. We need to listen as much as to give voice to our prayers. But how do we listen? Where do we listen? When to listen? How to recognize God's voice and his messages? God can get through to us in a variety of ways. A sermon, a prayer, a Bible reading, a confidential chat with a trusted friend, praying with the ministry team. But God's message may not be in the word directly. It's just as likely that a word or phrase will strike our subconscious and will click with something we've already heard or thought about and may have been pondering over for weeks or months. The same ideas can be expressed in a variety of ways, and hearing the same topic from a different angle can sometimes have a profound effect and make our doubts and hesitations disappear or be clarified or make the answer blindingly obvious. Note that Samuel calls himself God's servant And we need to humble ourselves in order to discern God's message. We need to want to hear God's message and make our hearts and minds receptive to hear his still small voice. We note also that God calls four times. The last time he calls Samuel's name twice and appears to him as well, as if to make doubly or trebly sure that he has Samuel's attention. If God has something to say to us, to us alone, we can expect to get so many prods and prompts that it will be impossible to ignore them. We have a direct relationship with God, and that implies a two-way conversation. We can pray that over time, we'll become familiar with the ways in which we can discern God's message or messages. We need to be completely open or receptive to God, not just waiting for an answer to our prayer and perhaps getting impatient. The Lord may wish to guide us into a new direction, a new place that we've never even considered. We need to be patient. God chooses to speak to us in his time and in the circumstances he considers appropriate. So like Samuel, whose first communication with God resulted in a very tough assignment, God strengthened him and supported him to be able to deal confidently and competently with the subsequent upheaval within the country. So can we be assured that if God calls us to carry out a task or sets us in a new situation, he will give us the strength and capability to fulfill his calling. Fulfill his plan for us, whatever that might be. Amen.